Hello and welcome to this week's episode from the Veg Grower Podcast. My name's Richard and I am trying to grow my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and my garden. Now with the recent change in weather, autumn's coming along, I have noticed we're starting to suffer a few problems from some pests. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. But first of all, we start each week with the latest diary update and that's what I'm going to be doing right now. It is Sunday the 4th of September 2022 today and you find me in my home garden. Now usually I start off on a Saturday but yesterday my good friend Lee Conley from Skinny Jean Gardener, he came down to see me and we went out to one garden in Brighton which is a public garden and maintained by some local students and I've got to say well worth a visit. I had vegetable gardens and kitchen gardens, so it was well worth a visit in Stammer Park, just north of Brighton. If you're in the area, please do go and check it out. But today in the garden, we've been busy again, as always. Now, first of all, I had to weed out the Christmas dinner bed. That's always been a, a bit of a weedy bed at the moment. I filled it up with compost last year, which is starting to sink down, and now that, that's encouraging the weeds to come through, and it's also possibly weeds from within the compost. But on saying that, the carrots are starting to grow through, and in fact are going to need thinning pretty soon. The celery is growing, the Brussels sprouts and the cabbage and the potatoes, and everything is growing as it should, ready for our Christmas dinner. So I cannot wait for that. Now we've also had this unknown squash plant which it's sprawled all over the place where we're going to build another bed and it's getting bigger and bigger I swear but it is producing fruit. We're pretty certain when we look at the fruit it's some type of butternut squash and we're just going to leave it to do its own thing because we're going to get butternut squash out of it ultimately and it's doing really well at suppressing weeds because it's such a big plant. I've got to say, in reality, I feel this has grown better than any other plant that I've ever grown in terms of a squash family here at home, considering I didn't plant it and I didn't do anything with it. It just appeared. That's a lesson to be learned there. It's the same as volunteer potatoes. They always seem to do better than potatoes that we actually plant. And I love it. I'm going to save some of these seeds from this butternut squash when we finally get round to harvesting it. Now, I have also been continuing to pot up some of my fruit trees and bushes. This is a continual job, I know, but I think it is so important to keep on top of it, especially as we are constantly trying to grow these plants to make them bigger and better to survive the winter. But one plant that has done really well is my Szechuan pepper plant that I brought from Gardener's World Live a couple of months ago. In the last few weeks it really has shot on in growth and I decided it again needed potting up into a, a slightly larger pot. The trouble was I didn't actually have a pot that was just slightly larger. I could have gone much larger but I don't like to do that. But what I noticed is I have a brown turkey fig tree in a pot. Now Fig trees like to be in a constrained pot. Their roots do better when they are constrained. So I was looking at this fig tree and thinking, actually, that could that do with just going in a slightly larger pot. So I took it out of the pot that it was in and planted it into the next size pot up. And the fig tree is actually, I've got to say, looking really nice and healthy. And hopefully that's going to continue to grow. 
But when it comes back to the Szechuan pepper, that pot that the fig tree was in is the perfect size for the Szechuan pepper. So I've uh, potted that up into this bigger pot and it's terracotta pot at this. So I'm happy with that. I do prefer terracotta pots. And I've now placed that in the patio garden. I think it's big enough now that it's going to survive in the patio garden. We've just got to keep on top of the watering and make sure it does do what I want it to do. Now added to that, I have been moving throughout the week a lot of the plants from the front garden back into the patio garden. This is only a temporary thing because I'm on holiday for two weeks. Something I'm looking at doing is getting rid of some of our bushes that we have out the front that are really, really difficult. I'm hoping the ground is going to be a bit softer that I can dig them out. But I just wanted a bit of space with the plants out the way. They can always go back and they will be going back once I've finished this two weeks off work but I'm going to be concentrating on really getting that front garden cleared and moving all our veg fruit plants out the front there. What I'm really thinking I'm going to do with the front garden is actually have fruit trees because I think they will do fantastic out there. However something I have noticed is my young seedlings that are outside we are having problems with those and that's something I want to talk about with you guys now. So my young seedlings, these are strawberries, broccoli, cauliflower seedlings. They have been potted up into reasonable sized pots before we plant them out. They are destined to either go in the home garden or down on the allotment. We're probably going to pot them in the home garden first and then any that are left over will go down to the allotment. But I have noticed that something has been eating the leaves. And this has been a bit of a worry for me. I normally don't get many problems with pests. But I think because we've had a dry summer and then all of a sudden we've had a load of rain come through, it's encouraged a lot of the slugs and snails to come on and start their work. Added to that, there's a lot of dead material around this year because it's been so dry and I think that's attracted them too. So what's the usual method of dealing with slugs and snails? It's the number one problem that people, gardeners particularly, always report. There are the pellets, of course. Now, I'm not a fan of the pellets. I don't use them because they are, in my eyes, a poison. The slugs and snails may eat them and it may kill them off. But then a bird will come along or a, a hedgehog and eat those slugs and snails and it also poison that bird further down the food chain. Now, I don't like that. I encourage birds into my garden. I encourage hedgehogs into my garden. And for me, they do most of the work. And best of all, they do the work when I'm not around. Any slugs and snails that I do see, I also give to my chickens because they tend to like to eat on them as well. I've tried wool pellets in the past and they've been quite successful as well, I find. The slugs that don't tend to like the smell of wool, so they stay away from it. I've also used coffee grounds. And again, I got those from a, a coffee shop and laid a thick layer of coffee grounds. And that worked as well at keeping slugs and snails at bay. But with these young plants, it's a bit difficult. Slugs and snails are incredibly clever. They will find other ways to get in, even if it involves using their weight to push down a branch to get to their, their food that they want. So what I've been given from Grazers is the company. It's their slug and snail repellent, I think it's called. It's called Grazers G2. And what it is, it's calcium based. 
and you spray it all over your susceptible plants and that's what I've done spread it all over my susceptible plants on top and underneath and because it's calcium based the slugs and snails are repelled by it now if anything does eat these it's not a end of a world scenario it's not going to kill anything it's perfectly harmless because after all calcium is something that we all eat it helps grow our bones and so on so it's not going to cause us any harm it's not going to cause any other animals any harm it's just going to repel our slugs and snails and hopefully allow our plants to grow on i have of course added a link for this in the show notes if you are interested in this but i will be keeping an eye and just seeing if it makes a difference over the next few weeks using this grazers now I will have to reapply it. I'm probably going to reapply it again tomorrow and Tuesday just to make sure it's ready to go and then again in a few weeks just to make sure that it is there and doing its job. But then in a few more weeks time when the plants are getting bigger we can see if there's any more slug and snail damage and see how they are surviving. It's kind of interesting I think and I'm hoping this is going to work. Right, let's get back to the gardening. It is Monday the 5th of September 2022 today and I'm down on the allotment. We had an amazing thunderstorm come through last night with lots of rain and it's nice and dry and sunny now but the ground's been watered and it's been fantastic. Now I have to admit I didn't get down this allotment at all last week. I have got some vacation time now, I'm on holiday and you know how it is when you're about to break on holiday you tend to pot things off rather wrongly but also you tend to have to work harder at work to make sure everything is done before you go away and that's what's happened last week so this is my first visit luckily what I'm going to be doing is coming down here every day for the next two weeks anyway what have I been doing today well I started off with quite a bit of weeding as always luckily the ground's nice and soft and well watered that all the weeds just pull out really nice and simply and that's fantastic that's the way I like it when they just pull out easily again the green manures are growing well the field beans particularly the facilia as of yet hasn't shown itself but it's still time it was only sowed last week so I don't think it all pop up just yet but I reckon soon we will start seeing that facilia grow through and I'll be rather pleased about that because it means that that red that bed will be ready for next year now I particularly weeded out where I have sweet corn and brussels sprouts growing and the reason I particularly weeded out the sweet corn is once the sweet corn is gone the garlic for next year is going into that bed so I want to make sure I'm on top of that I'm going to have to start as soon as the sweet corn's out going to have to start getting some fresh compost in here and plant the garlic straight into it it's going to be a bit of a push to try and get it all done in time but I'm sure I can do it and in the Brussels sprout bed that I mean we've got quite a few Brussels sprout plants in there I don't know if we're going to eat them all to be honest but we'll find a way I'm sure that again it got quite weedy around the edges where the foliage wasn't shading things out in the middle where the foliage shades everything out wasn't so much weed and again once the Brussels sprouts are out this is going to be a onion bed so that'll be spring next year before that is even planted and then the final bed for what I'm going to be using is the hugel culture bed as I call it. I tried to create a hugel culture bed this year 
and it failed. It didn't really work. Partly, I think, because I didn't set it up quite right in the beginning. So what I've looked at, luckily there's not much in the way of weed, so it's not too weedy. But what I'm going to have to do, and I've started doing this today, is just pile on loads and loads of compost to build that soil really up. A lot of the compost that I popped down at the beginning of this year has really fallen down and fallen through the cracks and I'm starting to see some of the, the wood and the, uh, the compost material through it. So a good thick layer of compost and that should then be good enough to start planting up my autumn onions in. And hopefully this year we'll be able to see just how well the Hugel culture bed works because it didn't work for me this year, I'll be honest. But it was a good way, good experiment in some ways, but next year I think will be even better. Now, next to that, I have a bed. It was my first early potato beds, but I put some cabbages in there. But these cabbages, unfortunately, have been stripped. The leaves have been completely stripped. And I know what the culprit is, pigeons they're rather hungry at this time of year they're looking for something to eat and my young cabbages were something that they were pecking on luckily i've got more plants at home that we will be potting into use so this was a um uh, uh, something I, I i've learned from i should have covered the cabbages over earlier with some knitting i've done that now usually I'm very lucky, I don't get many problems and I don't really cover much in the way of brassicas. My Brussels sprout bed, for instance, isn't covered at all. But this year they seem to have stripped away at some of my cabbages. So I think I will have to remember to cover them over this year, certainly. Especially when the plants I spoke about yesterday are ready to come down here and get in the ground. Lesson learned. But that's not the only pest problem I've had down here. We've had other pest problems and that's what I want to talk about now. Now usually I don't get many pests so I very rarely have to talk about how I tackle pests. But this year has been the exception. As I said at home, slugs and snails. The first time I've ever really had a problem with slugs and snails at home. Down on the allotment here, we're obviously the pigeons that I mentioned with the cabbages. But then, when we've harvested some of our autumn raspberries, we've got them home and we've left them a day or two and we've discovered there are these little maggots crawling around inside them. So we've had to bin a lot of them. Did a bit of research. And what I've discovered is that this is a raspberry beetle larvae. Now, I am what I call an organic gardener. So I try not to use chemicals. So that's part of the reason that I feel I don't get many pests because I encourage wildlife in to deal with it. But raspberry larvae are particularly small. And what I've discovered, what I have to do is keep the bottom of my raspberries really, really clear in order to allow the birds to get in and attack and eat the raspberry beetle. That may not be so easy because obviously I'm in a, a fairly confined space. We don't have masses and masses of space to grow lots and lots of raspberries. So what I may have to do next May is a, a pot up some pheromone traps to catch these beetles and stop them from coming. Now, that's a fairly easy thing, and I've also had a question from a listener called Debbie. Debbie says, 
My plum tree has been affected by maggots inside the plums this year. Last year I only had a few. Not sure if the heat has increased them this year. Anyway, can you give me any ideas on how to prevent this? I have heard about sticky bands that go around a tree in the autumn, but not sure when and how they affect the, the, the maggots. Thank you. So my answer to that is usually we put grease bands around the tree to stop any bugs that might climb up and then infect the, uh, the, the fruits. So in the case of the raspberry beetle, that would probably be a good example. The raspberry beetle lives on the ground. It climbs up the plant to lay its eggs and its larvae into the fruit. And if there was a sticky band, a grease trap, it stops them from getting that high up. But that doesn't really work on fruit canes. It will work nicely on trees, but usually you would put that on in sort of the springtime. Towards the end of this year, they're not really going to do much. However, I did a bit of research, and this is how I always try and find out what we do when we have pests. First of all, I find out what it could be by tapping into Google. So in Debbie's case, I tapped in maggots and plums, and I discovered there's a plum moth, and that's likely to be the culprit. So then I continue to read a bit more about how we tackle these. Now, plum moth, being a moth, grease bands aren't going to do anything for them because they don't climb, they fly, and they'll be able to fly completely over the grease bands. So the only other action that we take is pheromone traps to trap the male plum moth and stop them mating and laying eggs. And that's what I recommend that Debbie does. Go and find these pheromone traps from a garden centre or online. I've added a link in the show notes if you are interested in that. And put those up, read the instructions, put those up. Again, I think it's around May time you would put those up and let them do the work. There are chemical options, of course, but I prefer not to go down that route. And I, I, for that very reason, I won't be saying to do it. But if you do want to go down that route, do your homework and see if you really do want to do this. Now, this goes the same for any of our pest centres that we may have. Do your research. Find the best way. I often find that encouraging nature come and do the work for you. So we want to encourage, for example, birds into our gardens because they will eat slugs and snails. They will also eat beetles and other things. Uh, predatory wasps are another thing that we would want to encourage. And the good thing is they do the work when you're not there. They are far better at it than us humans as well. So I would highly, highly, highly recommend encouraging nature, working with the wildlife, and go in the organic route before you do anything. Now, how do we encourage the wildlife into our garden? It's pretty simple. Create wildlife habitats. Let some areas go a little bit wild. Put up birdhouses and bug hotels. Put some food out for birds and bugs, hedgehogs as well. And pretty soon they will start coming and you, you will notice a difference straight away. Right, well, with that, let's get back to the gardening. Well, it's still Monday, the 5th of September, 2022. It's just much later on in the day. 
and I've just had my tea and I've came out to the shed before I publish this podcast and I just wanted to share with you as we always do on a Monday a recipe that I have been cooking so for our tea tonight we had sausage mush and gravy onion gravy at that and apart from the sausages everything was homemade so what I did is I peeled loads and loads of potatoes and boiled those up and then once they were soft, we drained the potatoes off, put them back in a pan and just heated them to dry them off. Added a bit of milk, a bit of butter, a bit of pepper and some mustard. And then gave it a good squeeze together to, and mashed it all up to make mashed potato. We've made a big batch of it because we're going to put some in the freezer so we have it ready if we need it at a later date. Just the way I'm trying to do at the moment of preserving our crops and make them last a little bit longer. Funny enough, we were talking about gluts on our live show last night, which you can watch on the replay on uh, YouTube or Facebook. Now, added to that, we also made onion gravy. And what I did is I chopped up one onion and then just sweated that down in a bit of butter with a bit of sugar as well. That took about 15 minutes on a really low heat just to get it nice and caramelised and translucent and, and what have you. Then I added some vegetable stock. Now, we should have really used beef stock, but we didn't have any vegetable stock, which I make ourselves very easy to do. And a bit of flour, mixed it all together, warmed it through, boiled it up, then just had it on simmer for a bit. And there we go, we had our onion gravy. And served these all up and it was delicious as always. I mean, sausage and mash, you can't go far wrong. It's one of our favourite meals anyway. Well, that brings this week's podcast to an end. I will be back again next week. I've got this entire week off so there's going to be lots to talk about but if you do have anything you want to get in touch with me about please do feel free to email me richard at uk, or visit the website at uk. leave a comment on the bottom of a blog post or leave a voicemail now, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then perhaps you would consider leaving a review on your podcast app. It goes a long way to help me get discovered. But ultimately, if you really want to support this podcast, then please consider becoming a member of our supporters club. Details on that are on the veggrowpodcast.co.uk. But as a supported member, you will get extra behind the scenes podcasts and a collection of seeds sent to your door every month. No seeds can be sown that very month uh, finally if you want to find me on social media please do search me out on social media i'm on pretty much every channel and we also have the facebook group as well where a group of people are chatting right well that is it for this week we'll be back again next time so until then please take care Music.